I've preached on being merciful twice since uh, I've been here. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't. <laughs> if you would open me or open with me to First John chapter one. First John chapter one. First John chapter one consists of ten verses. I'd like for us to read those. Before we do, though. I want us to kind of set the context for what was going on at the time that John wrote this letter. This is a common letter that we're all familiar with, but I want to look at certain aspects of it that maybe we haven't uh, paid as much attention to as uh, some of the very prominent things in in First uh, John chapter 1. As John penned this general epistle, the fellowship of the, the church of Christ was under attack. It was being threatened by new and in a different religion that stated some things, obviously foreign to what the Bible taught. And John opposed those teachings. In fact, they were so contradictory to what had been uh, John had been teaching for about sixty years that he needed to address that in a very dangerous doctrine. Now, that false teaching later became known as Gnosticism which denied that God could not inhabit the physical body or could not manifest Himself as a human being, therefore taking the deity away from Jesus. They said God cannot inhabit the form of a man because humanity sins and God can't be around sin in any way. Now that's uh, uh, nothing further could be from the truth. We live in the very presence of God every single day. They're about... Uh, seven and a half billion people or a little more living on the planet now, sinning in the very presence of God, most of them on a daily basis. So God can uh, be in the presence of sin. He just simply does not fellowship sin or involve Himself in sin. That doesn't mean He can't witness sin or that He can't be close to sin. Of course He can. And so this new teaching was coming about. And there's a, there's a great similarity between 1 John, and especially the first chapter of 1 John, and John's autobiographical or, or biographical account of what happened in the life of Christ, the gospel according to John. They're both very similar because they present the evidences of deity. They present the truths that Jesus was God, He is God, Prior to taking the form of a person, he was God in eternity. Notice that they both begin with a reference to the beginning. We see that in the uh, uh, John's first epistle, and we see it in the gospel according to John. They, they both begin with a reference to the Word of God. The Word of God is the second person of the Godhead who became Christ Jesus. We see that in in John 1, 1 through 3, in verse 14, we see a very similar statement made in 1 John chapter 1, talking about the Word who uh, they witnessed with their eyes and they felt with their hands. They both declared that the eternal God entered into the history of mankind through the birth of Jesus. They both add that the manifestation of God was seen by humanity, was witnessed by other people. We kind of begin to see some of the very similar ideas and themes within both of these letters. 
John and, and the, uh, his uh, first epistle were written not that far apart as far as time is concerned. They both uh, uh, speak of Christ as the Father's Son and both res- uh, describe the result of entering into a covenant relationship with God and the things that go along with that. They talk of that. But if we're going to enjoy the fellowship that comes in a new relationship with God, we must be proactive in that relationship. And that's one of the things that John talks about. Turn our attention to 1 John chapter 1. Let's listen to some of the statements that John makes. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no fellowship, we deceive ourselves. Or if we say that we have uh, no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Tonight I want to talk for a few moments and want us to dis, uh, to discover some of the things that John talked about or to be reminded of some of the things John talked about. The title of the sermon is Living in the Light of God. Living in the Light of God. Now there are some things that we must do instead of just waiting on something to happen when it comes to having a relationship with God of the kind that He desires for us to have. One writer made a statement saying people are waiting for their ships to come in, yet they've never sent any out. And that's kind of the truth, isn't it? We cannot simply wait on salvation, wait on something to happen. That's a denominational mindset and a denominational concept that we wait on some kind of a sign or something to happen. God gave us the information. We are to go get salvation through obedience to His will. As John instructed the Christian on how to have fellowship with God, I want us to notice first the revelation that he made. He spoke first of the foundation. In this revelation that he presented to people, he was an inspired writer, He spoke first of the foundation upon which Christianity rests. God is light. Oftentimes we hear someone say the foundation of Christ. Christ is the foundation. He is God. God is light. That's the revelation. And He revealed the source of that message. 
He didn't hide who the source was. He said the source is, is Jesus, and just like in his gospel account, the is is emphatic. This is the record, John 1, 19. He's making the similar statement here in 1 John. This is the record. There's no mistaking what he's talking about. The is being emphatic in the manuscript, it marks the permanence and the absoluteness of the statements that John is making and the doctrine that he is presenting. Now remember, John is battling against a false doctrine, so he's making some statements to counteract what is being taught. Though he heard the message from Jesus, notice that he said that he was declaring that message to his reader. It's not enough simply to enter into a covenant relationship with God. We have to be proactive in taking other people to be able to have a a relationship with God. That's a statement that he made in these first ten verses of this first letter. He is declaring it so other people can enjoy this fellowship. Now this Greek verb indicates that they continually preach the message that they had preached it and that they would preach it again and continue to preach it. It wasn't a one-time thing. This was a habitual lifestyle for them. What they do? We had fellowship with God and we preached the Word. We told other people how to have fellowship with God. And of course that message is God is light. Here's something I think is very interesting. John didn't describe God by saying He is the light or a light. He simply said God is light. God is light. He was describing God's nature. He was describing His being. He was describing what what God's makeup was. And that is a fundamental revelation that God made concerning Himself to humanity. He wanted His creation to understand He is light. What does that mean? Well, let's look in the natural world. What stimulates growth in the natural world? It's light, right? Without light, nothing can grow. Can we grow gardens if it doesn't rain? Well, if we've got a water hose, we can, right? But we can't manufacture light. We can't manufacture light. We can build a greenhouse. We can haul in water from the pond. But we cannot manufacture the kind of light that a plant needs so that it can grow. Or at least the common farmer yet has uh, been able to discover how to do that. And it's the same thing in the spiritual world. God is light. His light stimulates spiritual growth. In the gospel account, he said concerning Christ, John 1 verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that light is the force behind spiritual growth. Without God, without Jesus, without the Word, without the man who manifests himself, in the or God who manifests himself in the form of a man, without Him there is no growth. And because He is light, here's a very fundamental truth that John is pointing out. And the people reading this would be able to, connect the dots on this and understand what they heard was not true prior to what John stated. He said, in him is no darkness. Why? Because light takes away the dark. It is impossible to have a little bit of dark. Right? 
It's impossible. It's either dark or it's not. It's either dark or it's not. Very few times in my life have I ever been in a situation of total and complete darkness. I was in a cave on one occasion. And they had run electricity. We were up in Kentucky in Mammoth Cave. And they had run some electricity. And they said, okay, get ready. We're going to turn the lights off. I've never been anywhere so dark in my life. There was a complete absence of light. But you don't find that very often, do you? You don't find it very often. But God takes away all darkness. There is no darkness in God because He is light. John destroyed the notion that was being taught that uh, the Gnostics taught. They had all the answers. They uh, taught that there was a God that was a, a good God and He was an evil God and He tried to compete. He took away that nonsense. He said, in Him is no darkness at all. If one claims God fellowships, any type of a denominational doctrine, and very easily we can show what God teaches in the Bible. In essence, they're saying the same things that that these people were saying in John's day. God doesn't fellowship darkness. He will not allow someone to add a little bit to His message or take a little bit away from His message. He says there's no darkness at all. Zero darkness. You can't turn off the light of God. And He will not tolerate darkness. John then transitioned within this revelation from the foundational concept that God is light to humanity's failure when they do not obey God. If we walk in darkness and say we have fellowship with God, he says we're telling a lie and we do not practice the truth. He wants to notice that John presented three if we say clauses that we'll notice in the balance of the sermon. And he does it in rapid succession. And it's very clear, once we understand the backstory and, and the idea of Gnosticism, that he was attacking three separate false teachings that was going on during that time. And each is followed with a consequential statement showing how it is wrong and how it is out of harmony with basic truth. Since God is light, he said we cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship with him. If God is light, he says God is light, and if he is light, we might say since he is light, we cannot walk in darkness and have fellowship. Darkness cannot come into contact with light and still be dark. It can be less light, right? You can walk uh, outside in the moonlight. It's not as, as light as daylight, but there's still light that we can see and pick up with our eyes. We cannot come into contact with God in a covenant relationship if we walk in darkness. Can God be in the presence of sin? Absolutely. He's been in the presence of sin as far as humanity is concerned for about 6,000 years. But can He have fellowship with sin? Absolutely not. Notice what Jesus said, Matthew 6, 24. He said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot serve spiritual things and serve physical things all at the same time and place them in the position of God. 
Paul listed for us in Romans chapter 1 an array of lifestyles. It's not an all-inclusive list, but it he lists an array of lifestyles that is in contradiction to what God teaches. If one is going to enjoy God's fellowship, then he must practice truth. And the first truth is God is light. In Him is no darkness. From there, John moved from the revelation to the requirement. The requirement, how can we have fellowship with God? What is the requirement for us to be able to do that? He said we are to live righteously. We're to live, and that's what walking in the light means. He presented the correct Christian teaching as opposed to what had been going on uh, with the false teachers and those people who were threatening the salvation of those who were living at that time. Now, in this verse, walking corresponds with living. Often the, the biblical writers would talk about this walk of life or, or our lifestyles, our conversation, the way in which we live is what he's talking about. And we are to live consistently in the light, avoiding the darkness. And can we do it? Uh, most people in the world deny that fact. You cannot live uh, righteously in the sight of God because everybody sins. Well, everybody sins on occasion, but that does not mean we cannot live in the light of God. And again, we need to understand something. John's not talking about sinless perfection. He's simply talking about faithfulness. The faithful Christian who sins on occasion must recognize that, must identify it, take care of it, and continue to walk in the light. That's what walking in the light is. We're not talking about leaving the light and living however we want to and at some point in the future we'll come back to the light. That's not walking in the light. But when we walk in the light and we recognize our deficits, we do something about it. Paul presented some, some uh, great detail in Ephesians 5, 1 through 11 on what it meant to walk in the light. So if one's going to walk in the light as, as God is in the light, what do we do? We avoid the darkness of sin. And if we avoid the darkness of sin, not only do we have fellowship with God, we have it with other faithful brethren. And that's what John was concerned with. He was concerned with the souls of those people who were reading his letter and who would later read his letter. He wanted them to be able to fellowship each other. But we can only fellowship those who are in fellowship with God. More importantly, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus will continually cleanse us. Isn't that wonderful? What an encouraging statement. The blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cleanse any sin of which one will repent. There's no sin Jesus' blood cannot cleanse. So, here John also refuted the common idea that Jesus, who died on the cross... And the Son of God were two different people. You know that that is taught today in different denominations. There's a very prominent denomination in the world known as the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they teach that exact same thing. Jesus was not God. He was just simply a created being. He, uh, The person who died on the cross was not the Son of God because God cannot inhabit the form of a man. Now, that's just absolutely 
not true. And we see it by the statement, the emphatic statements that John made. Now again, let's keep in mind, if we're going to be cleansed continually, we have to walk in the light. There's no forgiveness for those who walk in darkness. And that's a fundamental truth. We have to first come out of darkness. That's what Paul told those in Corinth. We talked about that verse this morning. We read that passage. He listed these things, drunkards and thieves and different things, liars. And he said, and such were some of you, but you have been cleansed. You have come out of that. So we have to resolve in our hearts that Jesus is who he said he was. That's the first step, right? We understand what the plan of salvation is. We have to have to listen to that salvation plan. We have to be obedient to it. And that gives us fellowship with God and saves us. All of that culminating in our walking in the light and our continual forgiveness of sin. That's what obeying the gospel does for us, right? Obeying the gospel is a process, and it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out process. It might take some longer than others, but it is simply a process that culminates in us having fellowship with God. That's the whole point, isn't it? To be cleansed from sin, get out of the darkness, walk in the light, so we can have a relationship with God. But what if one does not live according to God's will, yet he still claims to have fellowship with God. What about that? We have to look at the statements that John made. He's talking how we're supposed to live, but if someone says, well, I have fellowship with God. Just like those of his day were saying, we have fellowship with God. They denied ever having any sin in their lives. And what what John say? He said, you lie. You're living a lie. And that's the problem, right? You're not holding up to the standard of the requirement. We have to be truthful if we're going to have fellowship with God, right? We have to live the truth. We have to live righteously. Only willful blindness will prevent one from understanding that walking in darkness will prevent one from having fellowship with God. Only willful blindness. Not only did they not walk in the dark or walk in the light at that time, they were totally devoid of light. They were spiritually and morally bankrupt. They claimed to have the truth. They claimed to have all knowledge. That's what Gnosticism, Gnostic, the all-knowing. But in reality, they were hollow on the inside. They were, they were just like the Pharisees and the scribes of whom Jesus spoke, Matthew 23, 27. Notice what he said. He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. For you're like unto whited sepulchres. You're like a tomb. It's painted on the outside. It looks beautiful on the outside. Which indeed appear beautiful outward, he said, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. We, uh, those who, uh, as we've traveled around, all of us in our nation and perhaps other nations, you know, there are a lot of beautiful tombs in the world that have been built. You go down to New Orleans and they build those tombs on top of the ground because the water table is is so close that New Orleans is actually below sea level. And so they build these beautiful tombs and they're ornate and the uh, architecture is so nice and beautiful. But what's on the inside? It's the same thing that when someone's buried in the ground. It's the exact same thing. There's a uh, decomposing body because the person 
in the tomb is not the person we used to know. That person has gone on into eternity and we long to see them again. But the remains are, are things that we don't want to be in contact with, right? And that's what he said a hypocrite was. People can claim salvation all day long, but unless they walk in the light, that doesn't mean they have salvation simply because they claim to have salvation. Jesus warned against that. We see that John began with a revelation concerning God. Then he spoke of a requirement that was necessary to have fellowship with God. And then he went on to the result. That's our third and final point. What's the result of the things of which John spoke? Well, if we confess our sin, we can be acquitted. We can be forgiven, right? That was the whole point. Remember, who's he dealing with? He's dealing with people who said, we don't have any sin. We have all the knowledge. This man Jesus, he's not God. He's not the Son of God. He's just simply a man. Maybe a good man, but he's just again a man. And so John addresses that and he said, don't follow after that. You have sinned. If you say you haven't, you've, you've told a lie. And so the result is, if we acknowledge sin in our lives and we confess that sin, we can have acquittal or be acquitted of that sin. So what does it mean to walk in the light again? When sin comes our way, we confess that sin. We live in such a way that allows people around us to know that we are living for God. If we're willing to do that, God's willing to forgive us. John's trying to salvage these people who've fallen into this error. He's trying to stop the mouths of these false teachers. I want us to notice that this forgiving or this cleansing, it's unlike initial salvation. It's not like initial salvation. When one initially obeys the gospel, he removes all past sins. Up to that point, when he comes up out of the water, he or she comes up out of the water, they have no sin in their lives. So what happens is they move forward. Well, as they mature as Christians and they grow, they... They begin to overcome the temptations in their lives that they had prior to becoming a Christian. But sometimes that takes a little while, doesn't it? There are some things that we have to stop right now when we're Christians. And there are some things that happen to us that we're not intending to happen, right? I was speaking with someone the other day and we were talking about uh, bad language, the use of bad language. Look, using bad language is a habit. People fall into a habit of using bad language. To become a Christian, you've got to stop being a thief. You have to stop being a fornicator. You have to stop being a murderer. You have to stop being a liar. You have to stop all these things. You have to do it right now. But what about some of these sins that we commit that have kind of become second nature to us? And the faithful Christian who's living in the light, something happens, he becomes upset, and before he realizes what he's done, maybe he says a profanity. So what does he have to do if he's walking in the light? He recognizes that right then and he asks God to forgive him. He never stepped out of the light. But the person who engages in willful sin has stepped out of the light. And he needs to repent of that. He needs to repent of that and come back into the light. So we're not talking about initial salvation. We're talking about after someone has obeyed the gospel and then they slip up in this life. Not because they intended to. You can be forgiven of that as well. But we're talking about walking in the light. That person steps outside the light. 
who intentionally commits sin. He has to come back. But the person who sins and he doesn't, and it's not something that he planned on doing. That's the, the cleansing that we're talking about. And that's this proves one thing to us. A person can lose that salvation that he wants to gain in initial obedience. Paul talked about the reality of losing eternal salvation in Galatians 5 verse 4. Peter talked about it in 2 Peter chapter 2, going back into the world after having been saved. We can be lost again once salvation has been gained. But if one does not allow God to acquit him of sin, I want us to notice this final point. He is actually accusing God of being a liar. Someone says, I haven't sinned. I don't, I don't need to be forgiven of sin. There's no acquittal necessary for me. He is accusing God of lying because what did God say? He said, you sinned. Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All sin and come short of the glory of God. Titus talked about God who cannot tell a lie. And so the person who says, I don't have sin, I don't need your forgiveness. He is accusing God of being a liar. That's blasphemous. And that will result in a lost soul. The Word of God is not in anyone who claims that God is not telling the truth. And they're strangers to the teachings that the apostles brought to the world and that Jesus, and that for which Jesus died. And that's what was going on in John's day. John was very serious about these false teachers. Those against whom he fought claimed the truth was in them. And he was shining a light into their darkness showing the people that they were not walking in the light, they were not full of the truth. It is possible to walk in the light of God. It is possible to live in this life as a human being and still be found righteous and justified in the sight of God if we walk in the light. It is possible. Now, the world doesn't want us to believe that. But as we continually recognize our shortcomings repent of those sins, and ask God to forgive us, we never walk outside of the light. That's what it means to be continually cleansed. Again, let's not mistake that for someone who chooses to sin, who chooses to step outside the light. We're talking about the person who's faithful to God. And on occasion, when he or she sins, not because that's what they wanted to do or intended to do, and they quickly recognize that and they take care of it. Whether it is in initial obedience or in the context of 1 John chapter 1, where the second law of pardon is accessed, we can still have fellowship with God if we'll submit to Him. If you find yourself in a situation tonight to answer the invitation of the Lord, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.